discover your future in space. We're so happy to have you here today. I'm Holly Malier, your host. We have such an inspiring guest for you today, Janet Ivey. She is creator and CEO of Janet's Planet, director of education for Explore Mars, author of Unsung Genius book series, citizen astronaut candidate for Space for Humanity and NASA JPL Solar System Ambassador. In addition to her so many current roles in the realms of space, Janet has also received 12 regional Emmy Awards, five Gracie Allen Awards, and the STEM Florida Award for Exploring Microgravity. She is CNN's space expert and sits on the Board of Governors for the National Space Society and has given not one, but two stellar TED Talks on awe-inspired science and how to inhabit your very own planet. And that's just the top line, my friends. Welcome, Janet Ivy. So happy you're here. How are you? I'm so happy to be here. I am really great, quite exquisite, really. Well, that's good. I'm I'm so happy you're here, and (laughs) I'm happy to get any chance to talk with you I can. It's always a perk. So audience and Janet, little bit about our show if you are tuning in for the first time. Our mission is to reach every student everywhere. We want to create excitement about current developments in the space industry and introduce opportunities for how students can get involved. One thing that makes our podcast extra special is that the week before each interview, we give students the opportunity to ask questions to our guests. We also provide essential questions and projects to teachers that they can use in the classroom along with our podcast. Teachers, we post each podcast on our website at steam-space.org. You can grab these projects and lessons and podcasts anytime for your classes or yourself, and they are free. Yes, you heard it, folks, free. And, you know, you do not have to be a student or teacher to love our podcast. You can be anyone to enjoy our show. (laughs) So today, Janet, we Mm -hmm. are talking about intersection. That's such an interesting word. Intersection, so to speak. We are talking about STEAM, the A in STEAM, specifically mm-hmm. arts, and where it intersects haha, with science, technology, engineering, and math, and how together they are being used to create a pipeline of talent for the space industry. Janet, we brought you here today because we believe you, yes, you, are the perfect <laughs> Perfect person to explain to students how they can fit into this industry. 
in particular because of their passion. But before we get into all of that, I'd love, Janet, for you to just share a little bit of your story with our students. You <laughs> did not start out being a space ambassador or mentor or director. I talked to our last guest, Dr. Leon Vanstone, and we talked about how often our paths seldom go in a straight line. I know <laughs> mine has not gone in a straight line in any way. It's quite zigzagged and swirly. Can you tell us a little bit of your story and where you began your star-studded career and how you came to this point in the space industry? I've been telling a bit of that story the last couple of days. I'm on a, right now doing a teaching residency in Wallace, North Carolina. And so I feel like the genesis of my story starts when I'm 10 years old in fifth grade in Miss Ernestine Yarbrough Jones's class. And uh, I try to tout her with every interview I ever do. She is the metric by which I teach, but she is the one who brought a telescope to a Friday night. It was probably like a basketball game, PTA meeting or something uh, on the parking lot of Covington, you know, this in Covington, Tennessee, Holmes Elementary, Holmes Hornets. Holmes God, Hornets. I haven't said that phrase in a long time. And wait, wait, remember, wait, wait. What was the chant at games? Was it like, what I was? don't, you know, that's funny. <laughs> like the truth of it is I was out on the playground, like looking at what, you know, like playing something instead of watching the game. That's why I was out that night uh, with Miss Ernestine Yarborough. And I just remember looking through that telescope and being enchanted and not just with the stars and the planets she was showing me, but just with the fact that it's like, she is so smart. I want to be like her. So the genesis of, I think, Janet's planet really began in that classroom. But I love my band and my drama and my chorus. But I also equally was taking my math and my chemistry and physics. Even my chemistry and physics uh, teacher in high school, Mr. Hughes, I mean, he even told me, he's like, you know what? You're not perfect at this bit. I like how you approach some of the solutions. So keep taking it. You know, you may never be an A student in this, but it's like, I like the way you think. And I'm so glad for that. He was honest. And truthfully, I might not have been the most inspired student to be an A student back then. I think I would have been an A student now in those subjects. Mm -hmm. And then I go off to college. I major in music and theater. And along the way, I get a job at a theme park working with and for kids. Loved it. Loved everything about it, getting to like perform with these turtle doves, performing for the like sweet people who would come to Opryland. And in the middle of that, I realized, you know what? Maybe this good old music and theater degree can be used to combine my love of space and science. Oh, let's call it Janet's Planet. And yeah, it started there. I really had zero idea. Nobody, uh, do not request to see my business plan. Uh, it's Wait, not what? There. I, I, I thought you were <laughs> submitting that to be on this podcast. Did we not get that? What? No. And I love your, you know, your talk with Leon about it being like, it's sort of kind of like, I think any career path is a little bit up the hill, sliding down it, you know, like Sisyphus and the rock is crushing you. Then you push it a little off you, you go around the mulberry bush, you back up again. Then you're like, oh, squirrel, let's go down this path. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you that follow all kinds of things. Uh, follow every passion that you can. It's like, 
do a ton of things. Um, right before I joined you guys for this podcast, I filmed myself for a movie audition and I hit send on WeTransfer. And so when people really ask, like, you are a curious kind of animal here, Janet. I don't quite get the music and theater part. I don't quite get your love of science. How did these integrate or intersect, as you said? And I just go, because it's who I am. Mm -hmm. There's that lover of music and theater and drama. There's the lover of space and science. And, and, and just my curiosity kind of compels me to look in both those areas. And I think it's just so important. We tend to want to, oh, you are an artist and pat you on the head and scoot you over to the side. Well, bless your poor heart. Uh, you know, like the sciences are over here for somebody else. But I think it's important to remember that da Vinci, he let his art inform his science and his science inform his art. And he was pretty rad. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Renaissance woman, you are, right? I'm a galaxy of things. A galaxy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, a galaxy of things. I was thinking when you said, you know, you might not be perfect at that. I have a bookmark that says... um, I might not be perfect, but parts of me are excellent. <laughs> and, you know, even when parts of you aren't excellent, if you are passionate about it, I mean, this is, you know, this is what sustains us in life. And so having this, these varied interests and bringing the science to the arts, I mean, that's very fulfilling. Um, and like you said, it's ages old. This is not, STEAM is not a new thing, though, though the acronym is pretty new in the education industry, we, you know, we have our Da Vinci's, right? Have you made like a personal mission statement? Do you have? A, oh yeah. Do you have a mission? Oh yeah. 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 Share it with for, us. For me, Tell us. For me personally and for my company, Janet's Planet, it is all about encouraging young people to stand in their inherent magnificence. The end. And whatever that is, it doesn't, you know, I think sometimes students hear me speak and they think that, oh my gosh, what if, what if Miss Janet finds out I don't want to go to space or I don't want to do something in science, but I really like it. And so I tell kids all the time, like, hey, go be a fabulous fiction writer and a tap dancing pharmacist, whatever it is, because there isn't a part of life that isn't touched by some kind of science. So just be curious most of all, but I really feel like that my job is to be a conduit for students between where they are and the next place they want to go and that kind of like cheerleader uh, and coach on the side going, go for it, go stand there in the center of your magnificence. Woohoo! I love that. So, so, you know, kind of our question today goes right with that of, you know, talking to our students listening about how with their personal passions and their interests and their own personal mission, kind of like you talked about your school experience. I mean, how can they fit their passions into this space industry? I mean, we're really stepping into this golden age of space. And by the way, tap dancing pharmacist, I mean... That's our next t-shirt. I've got that. Um, but yeah, you know, we have so many students and, and I've got a couple of questions for you coming up soon from students who are kind of talking about this same thing. But, you know, talk to us a little bit about varying passions and interests and how they can find their place in the industry in this way, because it's, it's opening up so much, right? Yeah. I mean, and, you know, when I 
when I do my careers in space talk, I open it up by going, you know, if we need it here on Earth, we're going to need it in space. So that goes for Space Plumber. I mean, on the Inspiration4 mission, the toilet didn't work for five days. So somebody would have been really grateful to have a plumber there, welder. Yep, the delightful uh, gal today, she's a junior Hispanic, and she's a welder. And she was thrilled to find out the opportunities that could be out there, you know, like, okay, you're working for Relativity Space, and then you do some additive manufacturing, and then you're welding all of the pieces together. So again, you know, I think whatever your natural inclination is, and maybe you, there's a time and place where you felt out of place, or you've doubted your right to contribute, or you think, oh, no way could I have a place here. I mean, there is a place for every star to shine out there in our big old vast universe of things. But I think also if you think your thing is art and poetry or graphic art or the game, we're going to need those people to basically exhibit, share, like, and draw, design, and be able to tell that narrative. And plus, space is going to be really boring. I mean, it'd be fun to play pickleball in space, right? We need a pickleball court. It will be really not fun if all we do is work. So we're going to have to find these ways to like record the stories. I think, I mean, whether you love 3D printing or you want to be the seamstress that's sewing together the astronaut suits, or you want to really make me a rad outfit so I will look super fly while I'm on the moon or Mars. All of those people are needed. There's, I think it's important that whatever your thing is, find it, search it out, make a place for yourself if you feel like there isn't one. Because I find that anybody in the space industry, when you love exploration, you're curious and you want to be part of the space party, you're welcome. That's a great answer. In fact, I probably ask you this a little early because we're going to dive into this again in a minute. But wait. No worries. Oh, do you hear that? I hear it. Do you hear that dog? It's Space Dog. Space Dog. I hear Space Dog. Hi. Okay, you know what Space Dog means. That means it's time to discuss our essential questions and our lesson for teachers and students. Audience, if you did not get the email with our projects and our essential questions, you can find them on our podcast page at steam-space.org. So as mentioned earlier, we always offer these aligned projects to go with each episode. And for this episode, our aligned project is a micro cities and space project. You can find it on our page. It's a pretty lengthy project and it's one that you can take as long or as short as you want teachers um it can take one or two classes or you can spend many classes on it but there's a lot of resource for you for that particular project and it's a lot of fun and it's there's a lot of opportunity for students to collaborate and practice presentation skills which i always think is a big win the three essential questions, Janet, I'd love to have a little bit of your feedback on these just to give the students some food for thought, but I think I jumped ahead a little bit because you've already talked about a little bit of this. So question number one, who is needed and what skills must they possess if you are in a settlement on another planet 
like Mars or working in a station on the moon. So Janet, that's the one you've already talked a little bit about, but we've got two different environments. Is there anything else you'd like to throw in for that one for students to think about for that essential question? You're going to have to have sustainable life support systems, right? You're going to have to have robust habitats. You're going to have to have some kind of energy independence, some economic uh, way like of uh, exportation, some economic viability. You're going to have to have some focus on some psychological and social well-being. Again, we're far away from home. Nothing is the same ever again. And do we or do we not potentially ever return. We're going to need some technological and scientific, not only innovation, but really some kind of like forward thinking preservation so that it keeps us safe there. Governance and independence. Is it like Antarctica and nobody owns it? Or are we going to have to really have some mandates and some cooperation so that we will kind of abide by those things that we set forth? And then environmental stewardship, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, you talk to any planetary protection officer, they're going to be going, do we have the right to dirty this up? I don't think we do. So I think it'll be fun to watch those kind of regenerative practices on the moon and Mars and then go, wow, we should have been doing this on Earth all the time. So I think it's like if you fall into any of those things, so you're going to need everything from the soft skills of like emotional well-being and emotional intelligence to, you know, like the software, the man, you know, the people that are building, et cetera. And I like to think that every person who's going to be there, it's not just about surviving, right? But it's an opportunity to kind of reimagine how humans can be in a community together, what culture looks like, and basically our relationship not only to one another, but with our environment on a super, super different kind of scale. Yeah. Oh, I agree with like every single thing you just said. Um, <laughs> and and really like <clears throat> when I dive deep, you know, I like to think of us, if we're going to live off world, not doing a wash, rinse, repeat. I like to think of us doing it better Mm-hmm. And thinking about our footprint and and our care, not just for each other, but for the space we are in. But then, you know, like so many things for space, you know, so much research is done for space that ends up benefiting here, here on Earth, right? And so I like Hopefully, the idea yeah. of us, you know, having this community and doing things differently and maybe inspiring and also that changing formations of how we're doing things on earth. Um, I mean, it's a little idealistic, I know, but I mean, you know, why not? Engineers and space architects, Mm -hmm. biologists, farmers, agricultural scientists, medical professionals. I mean, blood does not exactly drip on the moon or Mars. It's going to clot. It's going to do weird things when you have less in gravity. So we got to figure that out. We'll have to have our geologists and our planetary scientists kind of learning about the environment we're living in. Again, we talked about it, IT, communication specialists, robotics. It's like hopefully a lot of things will be automated. So we'll have to have those people making sure everything's running perfectly. Again, psychologists, those people that are helping us make sure, are you good? Are you good? Do you need some time off? Do you need to do, you need to do a little Martian self-care? Um, you know, kind of like, I mean, even think about Wait, There's this. another t-shirt. Martian self-care. I want it. I can already see. I can see the image in my mind. It has to do with with one of those old-fashioned hair dryers. I don't know why. That's what I see, though. 
you know, the ones that you put on your head. It's kind of alienific. I know that's a made up word, but it's my favorite of my made up words. Yeah, because we'll need those people who are making sure and doing inventory and when do we have to order? Because it'll take two years for anything to get us there. So it's not really a good idea to run out of things when we've got a two-year window to get anything resupplied. You know, space law, legal governance, sustainability experts, all those things. So, and again, I think inside that kind of like psychologist, like artist, creative, I mean, it's like, I would love to know that it's like somebody's job on the moon or Mars is to simply sample the sounds of the rover rolling over the surfaces and then put that to some kind of music or, you know, how about the first ever painting that gets uh, exported back to earth that's made entirely out of lunar soil or Martian soil. So it's going to take everybody. We'll have that. our own songs, maybe our own anthems. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, I mean, preserving old ideology and possibly making new ideology, correct? Right. Well, so this this goes in line with question number two. And you mentioned it before we started our questions as well. Question number two says exactly. It's great to survive off world. But what does it take to thrive and prosper? And you're talking about that community piece, right? Of people yeah. going beyond just surviving and having what they need, but but the music, the arts, these other things to bring together community to support mental health, correct? Yeah, sitting around in the old lava tube and making <laughs> memories. <laughs> With my old-fashioned you know, hairdryer. But the real thing that's going to be needed is going to be everyone working together. Mm. And that's going to be that's going to become a grind because at some point, Holly, if you are not quite maybe pumping out your job one day, does that have ill effect for me and the and our entire community or culture there? And so I think we'll find, a, I believe, we'll find a different way of making other people's needs a priority that we will have some agreement when we have to consider the whole of the community over anything else. And again, I think that's going to be a fantastic human experiment. And I'm hoping that we'll succeed in that we'll find ways to be more empathetic, more compassionate, more kind. That's my hope anyway. Yeah. Well, I think it's good to be a little, a little idealistic. I think we balance out, right? For one of our questions, and then I'm going to, then I have another question for you. For one okay. of our questions, it says, is there any professional field that is not needed in space? <laughs> and I got to say, I really racked my brain for that, but I, there might be. No, I was racking my brain that like one of the first things that came up was like dog groomer. And then I was like, but I want my puppy along with me. Um, <laughs> yikes. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a, you know, AI robotic dog. I don't guess I'll have to groom it then. Or, or maybe mean, someone who studies it. sharks. Are there Martian shark? Yeah. I mean, there artifacts. won't actually be shark week on Mars. Uh, <laughs> but it's, I mean, it's worth thinking students. You'll, you'll need to email us and, mm -hmm. and let us know yeah, your please, answers for that question. Me. I, <laughs> I, I mean, I thought that I pondered it, you have spoken and led so many venues, workshops, conferences, including cities in space. Um, in fact, you were at our very 
very first cities in space in 2015. Do you remember I told you we were probably only going to have about 75 students? And yep. then we got a call from the venue yelling to shut it down because we had over 500 students. There were, I'll never forget that. That was really, really exciting. And whoa, yeah. we had no idea. So you've talked about fields and professions that you've seen opening up in this past decade in particular. Do you see just in our immediate future, professional future for the space industry, what are, what are some new professions that have just started opening up that you've noticed? I think it's going to be it's it's going to be really in the realm of space tourism. Mm. For example, Above Space is hoping to have like uh, one of their rotating uh, kind of space stations ready by mm. 2027, 2028. And I saw a LinkedIn post where someone was advertising for a maintenance worker on one of these orbiting platforms. And I think, I mean, it's kind of like my friends who have gone away and worked on a cruise ship. You'll be sort of like instead of international waters, you'll be in space. So I'm not sure that you have to pay taxes on the money that you make there. But again, how about coming home and going, oh, hi, guys, I got a job in space. And uh, yeah. like, just like a cruise ship, you're going to be yeah. there and do a six-month or a year-long contract. I think yeah. that's the most exciting thing that I've heard about. That is really exciting. Okay, mm -hmm. so we have a question from you from Jamie, who is in middle school. Jamie asks, I've always been very into visual art, and lately I'm getting into computer programming. I don't know if these two things can connect with space, but I would love the opportunity to go work in space and with art in particular. Do you have any ideas on how these two things could be useful? Jamie? you are needed because it's like every engineer who has a concept is going to need somebody to be able to bring that concept to light in 3D, in CAD, and to visualize it. And who but knows, you might be just like NASA space artist Pat Rawlings, who was hired by NASA to bring the engineer's visions to life. And he might add a little dash of a window there or a little, little thing that might be a handle. And then the engineers would go, thank God. Pat, because of your art, we figured something out that we've been like scratching our heads over. So again, it's going to take the conceptualization with your art. How I wish that were a gift. I do not have any gift of art as far as like visual or graphic stuff. But again, there is a need and there is space for you, my dear. Yeah, great. And agreed. I mean, design utilization, space architecture, interior design, all these are going to be really essential for off-world communities, right? Especially like if we think psychologically, you've talked about these crowded spaces, these interdependencies that we're going to probably have on each other as a society starting this new community. Um, we're going to need artists, not just for the CAD and the architecture, but say just painting habitat rooms like giving the optical illusion of making the space looking bigger, whether it's, you know, painting a sky on the ceiling or I know however an artist would do that to make you not feel as closed in or take away homesickness. I mean, there's, there's so many aspects that you could do that. I mean, hmm. I think both of us, uh, Janet, see art 
playing a, a bigger part in the industry as the years go on. And oh, shout out to Pat Rollins. Gosh, I love his art. I have one of his posters at home and I just love his art. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, gosh. Pat Rawlings played a very big role in my life back in 2015, that first year that I was at Cities in Space. I just keep hoping that we will recognize that most every person I know that is kind of in, in a space field also tends to love music or art or dance or poetry or writing or something. So I, I just want us to quit trying to separate these things because I think as the space industry grows, the art thing grows because there's going to be such a story to tell. Yeah, agreed. I came from a completely steamy family. We have one more question for you from Zora in Austin, Texas, and she asked Janet, what is your favorite scientific fact or part of science and why? Well, Zora, this is hard because I love so many facts yeah, that's about the hard solar one. system. Yeah. The solar system, probably, I just, I think there's always something being discovered. But my very favorite scientific fact is that Saturn is less dense than water. So if you could build a bathtub large enough, Saturn would float in it. That's my favorite fact. Oh, my God. That's so cool. There's another T-shirt. I'm going to make T-shirts constantly. Speaking of art, T-shirts, T-shirts, T-shirts. Okay. Do you have any last words for these brilliant young humans listening to this podcast before we start closing up shop, Janet? I just think that I want your minds to revolve around this thought. If you can dream it. If you can innovate it, if you can like even imagine it, it can be great science and a reality for you in the future. No one's going to like knock on your door begging you to do these things. But if there is something burgeoning inside you that you go, oh, but I really want to do this, chase down every avenue of possibility so that you get ever closer and closer to that dream of yours. And uh, I love Einstein's quote who says, if your idea is not absurd enough, then there is no hope for it. So be absurd and audacious and dream big and innovate for space. And I can't wait to see you there. That's beautiful, Jana. And I, um, I just believe that 100%. I love that you said that. Thank you for sharing that with our audience. Uh, I know you also have some other exciting things to share with our students and teachers, some other opportunities. If you could please tell us about those real quick before we start to close down. Absolutely. It is the Mars Innovation Challenge. Go to exploremars.org forward slash Mars dash innovation dash challenge. And it is open. You're uh, mission, should you, should you choose to accept it, is to create an innovation that would benefit and be amazing on Mars and also benefit Earth, all aligned with three of the sustainability goals of the UN, water and sanitation, food production, and power generation. It, the overall grand prize winner out of the four kind of like um, age groups will win $2,400 and the inclusion of their innovation being inside the blockchain game Thrive on Mars with attribution. So yeah, Whoa. your IP inside Thrive on Mars with attribution and it's pretty exciting. So please register. Deadline is April 3rd. 
Okay. And then coming up on April 8th, 2024, the amazing total solar eclipse. This one's very impressive. This one's going to be four minutes, kind of, I think, and 39 seconds is going to be the longest anywhere on that path of totality. Lots of places are at 92% or 95% or 85%. It's not as awesome as standing right in the path and seeing those Bailey beads appeared and then those kind of like pink prominences around the chromosphere and then voila, total solar eclipse, an upside down sunset complete around you, the birds flocking to the trees, the kind of like nighttime animals begin to sing their song and it looks like somebody's punched a hole in the sky. So everybody be looking up April 8th, 2024, Order your glasses, get prepared, figure out where you're going to be. It's a spectacle not to be missed because the next total solar eclipse won't happen across the contiguous U.S. until 2044. As always, it was a blast. I love every chance, like I said, to get to talk with you. And we so appreciate you being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you. My privilege and pleasure, my dear friend. Now, audience, if you like what you heard today and what you learned about, please consider following us on our Cities in Space Facebook page, as well as our Insta at Steaming for Space. If you'd like to support us with a donation to reach students everywhere, just visit our site at steam-space.org and hit support us. Every donation matters and helps us to produce new content and create aligned essential questions and classroom projects for students across the globe. Our next podcast will host another inspiring, amazing guest. We will be discussing getting humans to Mars. NASA Ames Research Planetary Scientist Pascal Lee, who is also director at Mars Institute, the planetary scientist for SETI Institute, director of NASA Houghton Mars Project, and a professor at Kepler Space University. Pascal will be discussing his work in the Arctic and his moon and Martian analog studies. Students, we will have a great project for you on this one, which will be sent out in our announcement email. It's going to be an amazing show, so keep a lookout for those questions and projects. I'd like to give special thanks to RNCN for producing this show, to Nate Ziven Productions for making our awesome music, and special thanks to our individual, corporate, and foundation sponsors. You know who you are, and to listeners like you. If you would like to subscribe to receive our invitations, please just reach out and we will add you. Until next time, I'm Holly Malier. Keep looking up.